want to play a really interesting moment from Fox and Friends this morning where Jennifer Griffin, a Fox News correspondent, calmly but brutally dismantles Fox News host Lawrence Jones's really dishonest talking points about aid to Ukraine and about the now dead border bill. And before playing the clip, uh, quickly to give you the context on this, we got news yesterday that Alexei Navalny has died in prison but very obviously at the hands of Putin, given that Navalny was the opposition leader against Putin and has spent years fighting against Russian corruption and Putin's regime, obviously super heartbreaking that this happened. We'll talk more about that after the clip. But as the reporting on this, the conversation of aid to Ukraine came up, given that this is a part of the conversation of Putin's brutality and it relates in that sense. And Lawrence Jones tries to say, hey, Republicans are not against aid to Ukraine. They just want to secure the border first. And Jennifer Griffin correctly points out, but they're the ones blocking action on the border. Ugh, it's crazy. And you'll notice that initially Lawrence Jones has a lot to say, and then Griffin lays down the facts and Jones goes silent. Uh, then they just move on from Griffin. Here it is. She is making a case to a domestic audience here. Uh, the Biden administration and many members, yeah. including Republicans on Capitol Hill, have been making the case for why aid to Ukraine, military aid, uh, weapons to Ukraine are so important in terms of sending a message to Vladimir Putin that he cannot erase land borders. He cannot erase countries. He cannot gobble up a country like Ukraine. He cannot change the rules based order or the map. of But, Jen Europe. but Jennifer, I, she, I, Lawrence, res respectfully, Lawrence, she's, she's, she's phrasing it as a binary choice. And that's not what many of the members of Congress are saying. They're saying, yes, we will talk about Ukraine. Yes, we'll talk about Israel. But can we put on the table securing the border first? Lawrence, there was a Senate bill to secure the border that the House wouldn't take up. So that is a false comparison in terms of the no, choices No, it's not false because it, there are people that have been very critical of the bill, bill and say that it there would not secure the border negotiated by Senator Langford of Oklahoma, uh, and the House would not take it up. Now they're trying to revisit, and Brian Fitzpatrick, member of the Problem Solvers uh, Caucus, he has put forward a, a way to bring the border back into it. It's very strong language from what I saw this morning. But we can't say that nobody wants to talk about the border in this Ukraine legislation. That's right. what the Senate sent to the House. Gotcha. And that's exactly it. Uh, credit to Jennifer Griffin for insisting on correcting the record on this. Really think about how insane this situation is. Republicans block a border bill. They demanded because Trump tells them to because he wants to run the board in the election. Republicans then say they can't act on aid to Ukraine until they get a border bill. It's bonkers. Now, of course, the response, I guess, would be, as you heard a little bit there from Lawrence Jones. Oh, well, that's because they just didn't like what was in the border bill. Lies. <laughs> border Patrol endorsed the bipartisan Senate border bill. They were pleading with Republicans to stop obstructing it and pass it because it was a dream bill for them. The most aggressive legislative action on the border in our lifetime. But Republicans in the House, clearly, as they're showing with their actions, they don't care about solutions. They really care about fear-mongering, about problems. By the way, here's the outcome of this bill not being passed. Boris? The bipartisan Senate border bill that Republicans spiked last week would have provided ICE with billions in much-needed funding. 
Without that money incoming, the agency has now drafted contingency plans in the face of a dire budget deficit to the tune of some $700 million. CNN has learned that the plan would require cuts to detention capacity and therefore imply the release of thousands of migrants currently in their custody. And who are they going to undeniably blame for that? Joe Biden. Even though Border Patrol is pretty clearly pointing the finger on this. It's on Republicans here. We have to make sure people know that, by the way, because Republicans are going to do what they can to say otherwise. And then now, because there's this crazy MAGA part of the party who is obsessed with opposing aid to Ukraine because they think Ukraine getting demolished is the path to peace somehow, ridiculous, the Republican Party in the House has to have some excuse for opposing aid to Ukraine. So Mike Johnson's coming out and saying, again, the border has to come first, even though he was the one who refused to bring up the border bill. Uh, that has all of the wishless items he could possibly wish for. And apparently he's aware uh, that if he were to allow a to Ukraine through, MAGA would try to oust him like they did to Kevin McCarthy. So once again, we're seeing a speaker act out of fear of MAGA. And it's become something I say daily, but I need to say it again. This is not a party that's at all serious about governing, obviously. And by the way, that shows up in the data as well. They're the least effective house in nearly a hundred years. Now back to the subject of Alexei Navalny. Here's Kamala Harris responding to the news right after it broke. Before I begin today, we've all just received reports that Alexei Navalny has died in Russia. This is, of course, terrible news, which we are working to confirm. My prayers are with his family, including his wife, Yulia, who is with us today. And if confirmed, this would be a further sign of Putin's brutality. Whatever story they tell, let us be clear, Russia is responsible. And we will have more to say on this later. And that's exactly correct. A thought I was having while watching that clip was, really think about this uh, with me. It's really easy, I think, to just get used to the fact that American politics is the way that it is right now, that Trump has a shot at winning again somehow, and so much of the country is just so wildly misled. But it is genuinely so nuts, if you give it any thought, that there's even a competitive nature to this next election that is probably going to be close. On one side, you have a guy that even separate from his attempts to block the peaceful transfer of power in 2020, and 2021 and him being a civilly liable rapist and all of his authoritarian promises for a second term aside from all of that he's out saying that if nato members aren't paying enough in his mind he would encourage russia to attack them and he's saying this within the context of russia showing what they're willing to do to gain more territory and power slaughtering thousands of people just in service of putin's lust for power and that's what trump's analysis is right now on nato Whereas on the other side, you have Biden, who united Western allies to respond effectively and urgently right as Ukraine was invaded, who understands the importance of international allies, who understands why Putin should be stopped in his tracks, and of course, a VP who does the same. But we have to hold our breath to see which side America is going to pick. It's not just obviously going to be a landslide. I hope it will be, but it's definitely not going to be, certainly. Uh, and that's crazy. <laughs> Get your mm, together, <laughs> my fellow Americans. My goodness.
Here's more from these remarks from Kamala Harris, now on the subject of aid to Ukraine. Imagine if America turned our back on Ukraine and abandoned our NATO allies and abandoned our treaty commitments. Imagine if we went easy on Putin, let alone encouraged him. History offers a clue. If we stand by while an aggressor invades its neighbor with impunity, they will keep going. And in the case of Putin, that means all of Europe would be threatened. Then here's Jennifer Griffin again fact-checking the idea that we're just giving a blank check to Ukraine and have no idea where the resources are going. A study by AEI shows that 90% of the $68 billion the U.S. has already sent to Ukraine supports weapons factories here in the U.S. Abrams tanks and striker vehicles are made in Lima, Ohio. They identified 117 production lines, weapons production lines, in 31 U.S. states that are producing weapons for Ukraine, which means U.S. jobs, of course. Javelin anti-tank missiles are built in Troy, Alabama, and Tucson, Arizona. Howitzers are built in Minneapolis. The switchblade drones used in Ukraine are made in Forest, Mississippi, and York, Pennsylvania. I could go on and on. Yeah, this is going towards weapons, towards equipment they urgently need and will immediately be used. Not to all the conspiratorial sources that people like Marjorie Green say it's going to. We talked about yesterday the big story that the highly credible, as we were told by Republicans, confidential human source that started this entire saga Republicans investigating Joe Biden, accusing him of being bribed, all of these different wild things, hearing after hearing, stunt after stunt, allegation after allegation. All of it started with this FD-1023 form. And yesterday, I discussed in depth the fact that the source that accused Biden of those things, him trying to benefit his son's business ventures and being bribed and the Victor Shogun stuff, this guy, Alexander Smirnov was indicted for lying about it all along to the FBI, feeding the FBI false information because he wanted to hurt Joe Biden politically, allegedly. That's the guy, the highly credible source we've been hearing about for so long. All of this started because of he was lying and he's now being charged for feeding false information to the FBI on this. And we knew this story was incorrect, as I talked about yesterday, because of our own investigation into the evidence, or really the Republicans' investigation not yielding anything, but now actually seeing this individual be prosecuted for his false information uh, to the authorities is pretty stunning. So then, today, I woke up thinking, hmm, how will right-wingers respond? Because so much of their anti-Biden rhetoric has been centered around, among other things, this story about him being corrupt. Well, he's just not. That's just time and time again being reaffirmed by their investigations and by stuff like this. And so are they going to come out and say, we were wrong? We got misled by this Smirnov guy and we apologize. The highly credible witness that we were so pumped about and that we felt justify this entire witch hunt into President Biden, he misled us and we apologize. 
No, of course not. Um, instead, they have to think of ways to bend reality to fit the narrative. And the great thing about conspiracy theories, as you're going to see here with Don Jr., is there's almost always an answer because the horrible bad people that you portrayed in this conspiracy can always do every single thing to make the evidence look like it points to them not doing the things that they're being accused of but really that's just more proof that they're doing the things they're accused of and here's don jr son of the president uh former president donald trump and he is panicking obviously and thus spitting out gobbledygook about this story and here his excuse for why actually the highly credible witness being indicted for lying to the fbi is still proof of their conspiracy theory i you know thanks for joining first and foremost because you're, you're doing such great things and he's talking to another right-wing pundit named john solomon he's out there uh you, you really put yourself out there taking on just beyond the narrative and there's some breaking news uh you, you've been talking about it david weiss the special yeah. counsel appointed by Joe Biden just indicted the informant who claimed that Burisma bribed. Who claimed? The Bidens. What do you make of this indictment and what can you tell us in the context of all of your other reporting? Because, I mean, this just seems like literally, you know, deep state, uh, you know, retribution at this point. I, you know, I remember a time where all... Uh, informants, all people, all people who are willing to uh, come out there and say something about the president, uh, especially as it related to potential corruption, were, were treated as heroes. And this seems very different. Wow. That's some intellectual analysis from Donald Trump Jr. He remembers a time when all informants, all people, really picking up on the speaking style of his dad, always having to escalate all people um, were celebrated for saying anything, especially about potential corruption about the president. Now, see, Don Jr., you're misremembering. People were celebrated for exposing actual corruption of presidents, of powerful people. No one's supposed to be celebrated when they do a political hit job so blatantly that a Trump-appointed prosecutor, David Weiss, thinks he has enough evidence to prosecute this individual, Alexander Smirnov, for his actions and for his lying to investigators. That's not something people get celebrated for, Don. <laughs> They're supposed to be celebrated for providing correct information to the public or to authorities about corruption of a powerful person. But again... In conspiracy theories, you always have the powerful group or person that can make everything look like the conspiracy theory is ridiculous, but that just is proof of how powerful and manipulative they really are. So here, he's saying that, ah, the Trump appointed prosecutor indicting, and a grand jury too, approving an indictment of Alexander Smirnov for lying about this story all along. Fabricating it was the wording used in this indictment. That's just proof that the Biden DOJ is going after the person who was gonna expose all of Joe Biden's corruption. Even though before this happened, 
Smirnov couldn't provide any evidence <laughs> and the Republicans couldn't find any evidence to back up these claims. And that was the first red flag. No evidence, but these huge claims against Biden. Very, very strange. And now there is evidence he was lying, manufacturing, fabricating this to hurt Biden politically in the 2020 election and beyond. But now, see, he had all the evidence. But the deep state, which is the wording Don Jr. actually chose to use just to make himself sound as conspiratorial as possible, they are making it look like there's no evidence, making it look like this guy is not just not credible, but a potential criminal in his obstruction and misleading of investigators and making it look like Biden's not corrupt. Wow. That deep state is something else, huh? And it reminds me of watching right-wingers report on the indictment of Democratic Senator Bob Menendez. So the storyline has been this whole time, right? That the DOJ, the justice system more broadly, is doing everything it can to protect Democrats and to go after Republicans. And then a powerful Democrat is indicted uh, for some really serious charges and some significant evidence being brought in this indictment and i think prosecutors have a really strong case against democratic senator bob and also for um but actually for bribery bribery related charges and then i'm thinking okay i'm gonna wake up tomorrow again the little naive part of me says on one shoulder you're gonna wake up tomorrow and these right wingers are gonna go wow biden's doj going after powerful democrat maybe we were wrong the whole time but no we were told by people like Charlie Kirk that actually this is just a way to throw Bob Menendez into the garbage disposal as a sacrifice so that right-wingers get misled and think the DOJ is not biased, but really they are against Trump and against Republicans, and they're still trying to protect Democrats, even though they're investigating the mayor of New York who's a Democrat and um, Bob Menendez and Hunter Biden has now been indicted for the gun-related charge and the tax-related charges. And then the argument kept being, well, this is all just to make it look like they're not biased. And what I've said before is if they're doing all these things that you admit make it look like they're not biased, but that's just to make it seem that way when they are, maybe a simpler answer is they're just not biased against Republicans. Maybe they're just trying to apply the law equally at least as it pertains to political persuasion. We've talked about how power can change the treatment of individuals for sure, but uh, political persuasion doesn't seem to be doing it, at least in the way that Republicans portray it. There is a case to be made that Hunter Biden right now is being treated worse than somebody else would if they weren't so prominent and the son of uh, President Joe Biden, given all of Republicans saying, this prosecutor's not going to do anything on Hunter Biden. And based on the charges that have been brought for the actions that are alleged, there are legal experts saying this is actually on the harder, the more aggressive end of similar cases, which is interesting. But regardless, definitely not the narrative that Republicans have been going with. The other thing I want to do in this segment is just remind you of how much we've heard from Republicans, from right-wing media about this FD-1023, about this highly credible, confidential human source. And I really want to know, are they going to come out and apologize to President Joe Biden? Here's Sean Handy. Like, 
there are now real and growing concerns that your president, the president of our country, is compromised. After months of obfuscation from the FBI and the DOJ, that FD-1023 form that documented allegations of bribery from a trusted FBI confidential human source has now finally been released thanks to Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa. Now, its contents are devastating. We're going to break it all down for you with investigative reporter John Solomon. And then here is James Comer, a few examples of him really excited about the catalyst for this entire investigation. And what is he going to say now? Even though I'm sort of lightheartedly saying maybe they'll come out and apologize to Biden. Obviously, that's not going to happen. They're probably going to lean into what Don Jr. did and say this is the deep state going after the still highly credible source, even though it's a Trump appointed prosecutor who got an indictment approved by a grand jury of just regular citizens and who thinks he can get a conviction in a court of law to prove that this guy was lying. FBI had an unclassified record that details an extortion and bribery scheme involving then Vice President Biden. We haven't gotten anything from the FBI and DOJ. I guess. Yes. Now remember, this 1023 that was released by Grassley last week. Now we know about this form 1023 that alleges bribery. You have the actual crimes the Biden have, the Bidens have committed, which range from money laundering to bribery. Now that evidence, that FBI form you keep hearing about, well. It's all BS, at least according to a new federal indictment today. Yep, that's exactly it. I won't subject you to this for too much longer, but just a few more examples because it's easy to forget and they're going to do everything they possibly can to make you forget that this is how much they base the entire investigation and the entire uh, probe into Biden on. They're going to try to pretend like, oh, that was hard, but that was just a little edge thing. We barely even cared about it. But we can't forget that. Again, this was the catalyst. This was the beginning of the entire investigation. And the justification, I think, in their minds, because it sounds official, no, highly credible, confidential human source, this FD-1023 form, FBI, it was the justification for them to go on Television say the Biden crime family over and over and over and over again until millions of Americans believed it, even though there's absolutely no justification for having that belief when it comes to President Joe Biden. In this FD-1023 document, the human source clarified that Burisma's CEO, the man in charge of Burisma, said he has many text messages and recordings that show he was coerced to make such payment to ensure Victor Shokin was fired. Matter of fact, there were 17 of them. Mr. Garland, it's clear Joe Biden wanted Shokin fired so he would stop looking into Burisma, where Hunter was on the board. Would you agree? All right, let's let the American people decide. Play the clip. Play the claims. Clip. The mainstream media has largely ignored the story or parroted the White House false claim. What does the FD-1023 form tell you? I'll tell you exactly what. So you get the point. Lies. A bunch of lies. And I'll insert into this conversation again, as I did yesterday. Meanwhile, Biden's getting things done. Republicans spending their time smearing him. That's what this is. As much as they have said Trump is the victim of witch hunt, they are conducting a witch hunt against President Joe Biden. That's what this is.
while they're spending taxpayer dollars, resources, time on this investigation using hours of television time accusing Biden of all these things and more so just asserting as fact that Biden was guilty of all these things that he's just not guilty of. While they're doing that, that's their focus, that's their priority. What is Biden doing? Overseeing an economic recovery that has been stunning. That wasn't a given. We expected much worse. And now we're dominating, dominating on the world stage economically post-pandemic. Job growth, unbelievable. 14 million plus jobs created. Unemployment below 4% for uh, longer than we've seen in 50 years. For two years straight, below 4%. Wage growth adjusted for uh, inflation, stronger than it was pre-pandemic, stronger than it was under Donald Trump. Some of the most historic policies we've seen in decades. The most successful president in modern American history. That's what he's been focused on. Managing world crises. That's what Joe Biden's been focused on and Democrats. Actually doing the things they're supposed to be doing while Republicans spend all of their time and all the power they've been given by the American people just trying to hurt their political opposition. Hopefully they're punished politically for that in this next election. There's something repetitive about this next story, but it's so important that I do want to update you briefly on it. So I'm sure you all have heard of, can you call it a documentary? The fictional attempt at a documentary called 2000 Mules. If you've watched my conversation with Trump supporters at Trump events, you've definitely heard the bring up 2000 Mules. It proved the election was stolen. And the source constantly cited uh, the group feeding a lot of the information in this documentary is called True the Vote. Yikes. Um, <laughs> very much not truing any votes. And they make all these crazy allegations about the 2020 election. And now in a court filing, when rubber meets the road, as they say, they are unable to bring forward evidence and have to admit, okay, we don't have like evidence of what we're saying. Here's this from Ross story. Election truthers admit in court, they don't have evidence for Georgia voter fraud. True the vote, the right-wing group whose alleged data form the basis of the election conspiracy theorist documentary 2000 Mules told a court it doesn't have any records to support its claims of extensive voter fraud in Georgia, reported the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on Wednesday. It's a shock, isn't it? So repetitive. This is time and time again. Giuliani goes into court. His lawyers say, okay, yeah, he was lying about the Georgia election workers. Fox News goes into court. Okay, yeah, they were not telling the truth about the election and about a lot of other stuff, uh, things. But out in public, they can continue to be real brave, right? When they make these documentaries to make some money, when they go on Fox News, go on right-wing media, etc., they're real brave. And then they go into court, not so much because they don't actually have 
the evidence. Here's more. True the vote, and this is an excerpt from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution piece, said in a recent court filing that doesn't know the identity of its own anonymous source who told a story of a ballot trafficking scheme allegedly organized by a network of unnamed groups paying $10 per ballot delivered. True the vote also told the court it doesn't have documents about illegal ballot collection, the name of its purported informant, or confidentiality agreements it previously said existed. The records were subpoenaed by the state election board in 2022. It just doesn't make sense, said Matt Mashburn, a Republican who previously served as acting chair of the state election board. It's odd to have someone make an allegation and then fight so hard to hold on to the truth of that allegation. And then I'll just read this last excerpt before responding further. True the Vote, a group based in Texas known for pushing restrictions on ballot access, was the primary source for 2000 Mules, directed by provocateur do documentarian Dinesh D'Souza. According to that film, which has been widely discredited by election experts, groups in several states engage in illegal ballot harvesting by collecting ballots from other people to drop them off. So what is so sad and enraging about stories like this is we can all go, oh, look, the truth is winning in court again, just like we do with the Dominion case, just like we do with all these different cases. Every single time these claims are investigated, every single time, again, rubber meets the road, it's the real deal, not just saying on Fox News, it's affirmed, reaffirmed, and then re-reaffirmed that the 2020 presidential election was secure, free and fair, Joe Biden won legitimately. So in a sense, there's always something that feels good about stories like this, right? It's a confirmation of the situation, both that we have done a lot of work to confirm is the case, and also is what we want to be the case. We want our elections to be secure. And the aggravating, enraging part about this is we know it's gonna change zero people's minds. <laughs> And Giuliani, again, can tell people that through his lawyers, through his court filings, that he's acknowledging his claims about Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss are false. Then he can go out after being in court and go, no, everything I said was true. Yeah, they were part of this conspiracy. And then I can go to a rally after Giuliani had to admit these things were not true in legal filings, again, saying these Georgia election workers were a part of a conspiracy to steal the election, and still a Trump supporter can say this. For example, Trump attempts to overturn the election, wrong. So to protest against that, I would say would be correct, right? Well, you're saying that he over tried to overturn an election. What election are you trying to say you overturned, 2020? Yeah. So you haven't heard anything about election fraud this happening at all? Well, I, I look so to you, all the recounts, investigations, audits, and court cases. In, have you watched the Georgia, the Georgia election? Did you see where they pulled the ballots out from under the cabinet? And they realized and they that was they debunked. Scanned them and scanned them and rescanned them and rescanned them. You know that lady got arrested, right? Don't you think if that actually you know she happened? Got I know a lot of people are suing for defamation because of lies about people like that. No. Yes, she definitely Who? got arrested. Ruby Freeman? Ru Ruby, yeah, she definitely got it arrested. It turned out that even Giuliani acknowledged she was lying. He lost a defamation case, and in that case, he had to concede that he was not correct about those uh, statements about Ruby Freeman. Oh, no, no. She's definitely been arrested. She has, and I promise. She has. He can walk around believing something that even the guy who he got the dang idea from, even as he's having to admit the things aren't true, still, the Trump supporters can believe they're true. 
And the same thing will be here. There are definitely hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people who would cite 2000 mules as one of the top things on the list that verify the election was stolen. And 2000 mules based their conspiracy theories off of this organization, True the Vote's information. True the Vote can go in and go, okay, we're not saying we've been lying, but we also won't provide any documentation of the rock solid evidence that we have. Just because, you know, like, why? Who are you to ask for a judge? Just to be nighting us? No. Uh, and still, people will think 2000 Mules has not been debunked, is legitimate, true the votes, this group doing great work trying to true the vote and fighting for the truth. And the needle isn't moved. And that's what's really enraging. But for those of us who live in this place I call reality, we can celebrate the fact that the truth has prevailed again. The decision we have long been awaiting has now been released by Judge Arthur Ngoron. This is, of course, coming out of New York. How would the fraud case end? Quite the trial, quite the situation. How would it conclude? And how devastated would Trump be? Well, we now have answers to those questions. Trump and his business have been ordered to pay $355 million. Trump is banned from doing business in New York for three years. His sons have been fined $4 million each for their engagement in fraud and are also barred for two years from business in New York. Uh, quickly from the New York Times, that I'll bring in our legal expert, a New York judge on Friday handed Donald J. Trump a crushing defeat in his civil fraud case, finding the former president liable for conspiring to manipulate his net worth and ordering him to pay a penalty of $355 million that could wipe out his entire stockpile of cash. Just music to my ears. To break this down, I want to bring in our legal expert, Aaron Parnas. Wow. What's your initial response to this breaking news, Aaron? It's it's a pretty wild day. I, I don't think I ever really thought that this day would come, give, even though we saw the craziness of Alina Abba and that trial. But um, I think this is really going to put Donald Trump's quote unquote billionaire net worth to the test. Uh, we saw that Donald Trump previously was reported that he only had about $450 million in cash on hand. And with this $350 million judgment coupled with the $83 million judgment with uh, E. Jean Carroll, and then the other $5 million judgment that he already technically paid, I mean, I just don't see how he's going to afford all of it. And let me read some of Alina Abba's response. You mentioned her. It, it is the culmination, she says, of a multi-year politically fueled witch hunt that was designed to take down Donald Trump. Yeah, maybe that or maybe... Trump engaged in fraud and our legal system is playing out how it should. So with this big number, $355 million, you're talking about how much money Trump has on hand. This plus the other big $83.3 million case, this is getting out of his control or out of control for him, I should say. When it comes to this, because it says him and his businesses, can they share the, the burden there? Yeah, 100%. So the judgment is that he is jointly and severally liable with his business entities. And there's about 120 million that he's liable with like the Trump organization another 120 million that he's liable jointly and severally with some other entities and then 60 million with some other entities. Anyways, what that means jointly and severally is that 
the entities, all the defendants could essentially share the, uh, the judgment. They could all contribute to it. So that is his one saving grace. Theoretically, if he is forced to pay this judgment after appeal, the Trump organization could merely foot the bill for the entire uh, judgment and he himself would never have to pay out of pocket. Uh, it's $350 million total uh, amongst all of these entities and they can choose kind of how they pay. Uh, typically what you would see in um, just regular cases when you have, it, there are different types of fault. You have joint and several liability, you have comparative liability. Comparative liability would be the jury saying, oh, Donald Trump's 80% at fault and the entity's at 20%, so you share the judgment at an 80-20 split. Here, joint and several means that they all share, they're all liable for the 350, uh, and they're just gonna have to figure it out themselves how to pay for it. And I do want to note that 370 million was what Letitia James asked for. So essentially, he went with her top line number, which is pretty significant, right? Normally, they would come in a little low. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with that. I think it, it was a significant judgment. I think this was meant to send a message to Donald Trump and the Trump organization. I do think it is interesting, though, that I remember Letitia James actually asked for a permanent bar of Donald Trump from the industry, but this judgment actually only bars him for three years. Donald Trump is elderly. I don't see him going back into business and serving as a director of a company in the next few years anyway. Um, so that that was an interesting part of the ruling, but uh, it, it it's not surprising that Judge Angoron went with um, Letitia James's number, given the fact that the trial the evidence presented at trial didn't really rebut any of the evidence she put forth. Um, it was pretty evident that Donald Trump was li in the Trump organization. They were liable for the actions alleged by the New York Attorney General's office. So remind the audience, I touched on it very briefly in the introduction, but remind the audience what it is that Trump did. Yeah, so essentially he conspired. The allegation was that he defrauded the state of New York by conspiring to overinflate his assets. Uh, he lied to uh, banks and other or, uh, organizations uh, to take out loans, to pay for certain assets. Um, he, he just made a lot of misrepresentations to the state of New York. That's the basic kind of crux of the case. Uh, Don, the, the reason why the judgment is just so big is because he did it at such a massive scale and the state suffered such massive damages that he is now forced to pay this amount. Uh, your average person isn't on the hook for a $350 million judgment because your average person, even if they make a misrepresentation to a, a state entity, uh, that misrepresentation does not cost the state this amount of money. So I, I think that's where you kind of see the disparity. And you could tell that this case really got under his skin. His outside of court rants were <laughs> each one more deranged than the previous. And he had that very strange, just sort of, now that we're at the end, Aaron, I'm just sort of reflecting on the experience of this trial. Um, he would do this strange thing where it seemed every time he showed up to court, well, two things would happen. The first would be him saying that he has to be there and he should be campaigning when he wasn't actually required to be there. The second was him increasing how much he said Mar-a-Lago was worth like every single time. It's 10 hundred times what they say that it is, a billion dollar property. The judge is wrong in his ruling. He valued Mar-a-Lago at 18 million dollars and it's worth a billion dollars, maybe a billion five. 
And you saw where various properties that we have that are valued in the financial statements, which is totally subject to the clause that you've all been hearing about doing buyer beware, as they call it. And this rogue judge, uh, a Trump hater, the only one that hates Trump more is his associate up there, his person that works with him. And she's screaming into his ear on almost every time we ask a question. It's a disgrace. You want to know the truth? It's a disgrace. Uh, very strange. Any last takeaways before we wrap up on this, Aaron? I mean, I, I think the takeaway is that really this is just the beginning for Trump. I mean, you saw Ooh. E. Jean Carroll. That hurt him. This is going to hurt him even more. But now he has criminal trials coming up, which could end him. Uh, so I really think this is the beginning of what is going to be a very long year in the courtroom for Donald Trump. That should send chills down Trump's spine. Aaron, where can people find you? On all my social media platforms, just at Aaron Parnas.